Today's episode of the Flawed Rewatchables is brought to you by State Farm. Around here, we love talking about movies that we watch, rewatch, and watch again because either they're just that good or they're insane, like Draft Day. It's the thoughtful details, the little things other movies don't have that keep us coming back. Well, when it comes to insurance, we can't get enough of State Farm. They have all the details we appreciate. They make insurance easy. You can monitor your coverage, pay your bill, or even file a claim through their app, which was awarded Best Insurance Mobile App 2019. And thanks to their network of 19,000 agents, you'll have someone local to walk you through options, help you choose a policy that meets your individual needs versus cookie-cutter coverage. Best of all, they give it to you straight. No gimmicks, no games, just guidance you can count on. It's a no-brainer. Go out and get the insurance you deserve. Get State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Get a quote or find an agent at statefarm.com. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com, where we are doing a whole Survivor thing this week, right, Mallory? We are. We are celebrating 40 seasons and 20 years of not only a phenomenal reality TV show, but currently everybody's favorite sporting event because it's the only one. Yeah, basically our only sporting event. If you want to hear a recap of the final episode, which runs Wednesday Wednesday night, by the time you hear this podcast, it will have already happened. On The Ringer Dish, Riley McAtee, a young buck at TheRinger.com, is going to be breaking down with I don't even know who, but that will be happening. We Yours also truly, launched a- Bill. I'll be there Oh, with it's going to be you. Look at you doing yeah. double duty. Uh, we also launched a new podcast today called Baseball Barbecue with the Suspedes Family Barbecue guys. Uh, their first episode breaks down base brawls. And it's really enjoyable. I was listening to it right before we uh, did this. Coming up, hey, Mallory, I just have one question. Just how important is winning to you? You pancake-eating motherfucker. (laughs) Draft day, coming up. We talk football. We can always talk football. On the field, the action never stops. But behind the scenes. Draft day. History in the making. The action really begins. Let's make a deal. The barbarians are at the gate. It's go time, boss. Let's get busy. Kevin Costner. You son of a... I need five minutes and then you can fire me. Jennifer Garner. Write your own story, sonny. You're out of your mind. Yeah, I am. Haven't I proved that already? Draft day. Rated PG-13. In theaters April 11th. All right, Bill Simmons here, Mally Rubin here. This is uh, the Flawed Rewatchables. Producer Craig was watching this last night and texting us in the first 20 minutes going, what the hell is happening in this movie? Why did you pick this? By the end of it, I think he kind of figured it out. This is a movie where a group of football fans cheer Roger Goodell, and it's not one of the top 10 most unrealistic moments of the movie. It's <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, the first time I watched it, I thought it was the dumbest sports movie I'd ever seen in my life. The second mm-hmm. time I watched it, I was like, ah, kind of like it. By yeah. the third and fourth times, I'm like, you know what? It's vintage Costner. I really enjoy some of the some of the beats in this movie, some of the dramatic twists. I forgive all of its sins. I just enjoy it. Where do you stand? I feel similarly. It is undeniably a nonsensical movie in almost every respect that counts. And yet, <laughs> and yet, it's good, clean, maybe too clean, not necessarily logical fun. That's how I feel about Draft Day. It's an enjoyable way to spend two hours. It is hilarious. Rarely intentionally comedic, but still quite comedic and thus fun to consume. You can watch it as a fan of a puzzle. Does the math make sense? Does the logic on each side behind every move make sense? The answer is almost always no. Spoiler alert. (laughs) The answer is definitely no. (laughs) 
<laughs> or you could just watch it because you enjoy seeing Costner strut around in a nice fitting pair of slacks in a sports movie, which is always one of my favorite things. Well, I did a podcast with him last year mm-hmm. and he brought it up at one point. Mm-hmm. And I could tell he was really proud of it. Like he really thought it was good. And then you watch, there's a little mini featurette that accompanies this where you were sent, texting me clips last night and Costner is discussing the movie the, basically the same way like Lawrence of Arabia was discussed in some of the all-time classics. Oh, yeah. I mean, the people who made Draft Day think they made King Lear, which... <laughs> You know, I respect. I mean, we're all trying to make modern day Shakespeare in some respect. He has so many. I really I really cannot recommend this making of featurette strongly enough. It is absolute gold. And he's not the only one who is leaning in fully to the artistic achievement that this movie uh, created for them. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a little American classic. That's something that Kevin Costner says in the making of. Yeah, you you get the feeling he puts us up there with Bull Durham and Field of Dreams. Wow. It's like my big three were these and maybe Tin Cup fourth. It's like, no, no, settle down, Coster. Uh, what about voicing Enzo, the golden retriever, in the oh, art yeah. racing in the rain when she made me watch? I made you watch that because I figured if we were going to go all in on Coster, you might as well hear him voice the uh, the beautiful, dulcet tones of a golden retriever. And by the I way- you feel more uh, prepared now. Underrated movie. But- um. This movie received mixed reviews from critics. That's generous. According to Wikipedia, a box office failure, grossing yeah. just $29 million against its $25 million budget. It comes out in 2014. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of buzz about it. We are still at Grantland at that point. It's kind of the heyday of Grantland. Right. And we're immediately excited that there's this Kevin Costner football draft movie comes out. It's coming out. Comes out. Doesn't really do well. And then the Browns have a draft really two weeks, two and a half weeks after this movie comes out. Yeah. Their draft is more exciting than everything that happens in draft day, which seems impossible. They they trade back the from Manziel four to draft. nine. Yeah. They trade back from four to nine, then trade back up to eight and take Justin Gilbert, who is an iconic top 10 cornerback bust, like really one of the all-time cornerback busts we've had. Then- they trade back into the draft to get Manziel at 22 and everybody's reacting the same way Browns fans react in this draft. Like we did it. We did it. It's one of the worst drafts of all time. It comes out three weeks after draft day. I believe the actual real life draft broadcast commentary was this is crazier than draft day. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And what's funny is they end up taking the Bo Callahan character with Manziel. Where it's like, hey, let's ignore, let's ignore some of these red flags and just plow ahead because this guy's this guy that the game tape was so good in the movie that they actually do the opposite. I will contend that Manziel and Bo Callahan had zero commonalities as actual quarterbacks in terms <laughs> yeah. of their style of play. For the True. record, I have some other Bo Callahan comps in mind. I'm, I'm sure we'll get there. But yes, it was hard. It was certainly hard to avoid making the comparison in real life, given how everything played out in Cleveland. So the heart of talking about this movie and the most fun thing about talking about it is the three trades that happen. Right. And I, this is one of the only times, usually when we do a rewatchables podcast, I have an innate sense how to structure the pod, you know, Mm -hmm. because I don't know. I'm just, for whatever reason, I, I, it always falls into place this time. It's like, 
do we talk about the trades now? Do we wait until picking nits? Do we do it in most rewatchable scene? My my instinct is right. I think we do it. I think we do it now. Okay. There's, I think there's some inevitable, we almost have to accept up front that there are some inevitable category overlap in this podcast because kind of by definition of what the movie is, the setup, the rewatchable scenes, what's aged the worst, nitpicks and unanswerable questions are all kind of the same handful of things. And that's part of what makes it so remarkable. I got to say, it's unprecedented. We've done like 140 rewatchables. This is the only time where (laughs) you could take those three trades and put them in any category we have. So I just think we should get them out of the way now. The movie, the first big trade. So we have Seattle's GM. Tom Michaels uh, calls Costner, who's Sonny Weaver running the Browns. Sonny Weaver Jr., my bad. His dad had died a week earlier. His dad was a legend. Yes. And he just found out that his partner is pregnant, Allie, the salary cap guru with the Browns. Quite a quite a week for Sonny. We have a lot to discuss on that one. <laughs> How does it work with Sonny Senior, Sonny Jr. working for the Browns? Do they call Sonny Jr.? Like, how, how do they even identify them? Well, Bill, this is one of the, the great things about Sonny firing his own father. And shortly thereafter, his father dying. Didn't yeah. really matter for very long, you know, yeah. though, as he as he lectures the Dennis Leary coach Penn character, basically put some respect on my old man's name is kind of what that speech boils down to. You call him Coach Weaver. That's what you call him. So that's so how we'll coach. refer to him on this podcast. We can avoid any confusion. We'll call Costner Sonny. We'll call Coach Weaver Coach. So that's my, must have been what they did in Cleveland. All right. So there's three completely indefensible mistakes in this movie from just a football standpoint. Three. And this goes back to something. Three. Well, I'm, I'm going to narrow it down. Just the three actual trades. Okay. All right. People have heard me talk on the rewatchables about this in the past. When they make sports movies, there should be a consulting group, which I'm happy to spearhead where they just kind of come to us and go, Hey, can you just take a look at this and make sure from a football standpoint, this all makes sense. Now, on the other hand, we're nitpicking because we're sport we're sports freaks. Right. And it reminds me of I remember um when ER launched in nineteen ninety-four. My my stepmom's an OBGYN. And sometimes I would be at my dad's house because I was living in Boston and he was in Boston. And on Thursday night, we would watch the Thursday night shows. And then ER would come on and my stepmother would just nitpick ER. Just be like, oh, that's not happening. Oh, you wouldn't do it that way. Oh, that's ridiculous. Oh, there, there's too many people in. And it was just like, all right, this isn't fun. Like, like we don't know how an ER works. You're kind of ruining this for us. I don't want to do that too much with sports movies because I just feel like we have the most information. At the same time, these are indefensible. Like this trade, everything about this is indefensible. The Seattle GM calls him, basically says, I'll give you this for your two firsts and a third. This is, again on draft day. I do think we need to just reinforce that point because the entire movie is structured against a clock. Yep. As the creators are happy to tell you, that's part of what provides the natural momentum of the film, the ticking clock. But we we can't ever lose sight of that because every single domino that falls in this series of dominoes is happening within, in essence, a 12-hour window. And I guess 13 if you extend it into the first hour of the draft and a little bit longer than 12 to start the clock. So, Nobody has thought about any of this, including Seattle, until draft day. 
Nobody has thought about any of this. And Cleveland hasn't thought about it either. Clearly. Hey, what would I, hey, should we trade up? We have we have seven. We don't really like our QB that much. We, there, there's been no discussion at all. The other interesting thing, he's in no communication with his owner. He has no right-hand person. Every sports team I've ever heard of in my entire life in the last 25 years, whoever is ultimately the decision caller has a right-hand person, whoever it is. It's either right. the assistant GM, it's the lead salary cap person, it's somebody. It's a trusted somebody to bounce off. Maybe it's the coach. Sonny just gets this offer, thinks about it, doesn't tell anyone, doesn't float it to his owner, just kind of holds on to it. And then decides that he's just going to be like, yeah, fuck it. I'm just going to do this. I'll call him back. Doesn't talk to anyone. So the context is that the owner has told him that he needs to make a splash. And he has done this subtly by taking him to a water park where there is literally a splash that gets people wet because people pay to get wet. Oh, wait a second. I, di- I didn't realize you thought those were related, the, the <laughs> plunge thing behind it, behind him as they talked. Do you think that was intentional? <laughs> Just incredible stuff. I, I love this. I love the, the delicate symbolism that you really have to search for to be able to parse fully. But we also see Sonny listening to talk radio. His job is on the line, right? That's clear. He has come from San Francisco. He's had two seasons. The first season, there were all of the the, the, the cloud of, what had happened with his father. And then the second season, as we learn, Brian Drew gets hurt. So Sonny doesn't feel like they really got to see the team that they were going to have. He wants one chance to build his team properly before he is going to lose his job, except building it properly begins to unfold just as a response to the pressure from the owner to do something splashy. He's feeling the heat. Do you think they should have gotten on a roller coaster to really bang it home? (laughs) As let's talk about your last two years, Sonny, as we get on this roller coaster and there's no symbolism here at all. I don't know what the upkeep at that amusement park was. Might not have been the, uh, the, the, the safest way to spend 35 seconds. And he is consulting someone. He's consulting Allie, who is often telling him, follow your heart. Now, not when he's making that first trade. Obviously, that is literally occurring in a car as he's just going to get gas. He he. uh Decides, oh, maybe I should do this. Maybe I'll make a splash. The Seattle GM says, no, no, it's not two firsts and a third anymore. I want three firsts. The whole world has changed. Yeah. Doesn't doesn't check with anyone. (laughs) Not not interested in consulting one other person, maybe checking with his new coach. Mm -hmm. Plows ahead and does it. And you know, I as you know, I judge a lot of things in life by what would happen in a fantasy football league. If sure. the same type same. of thing happened. Yeah. If there was a trade of this magnitude in a fantasy football league where nobody shopped it around, discussed it with anybody else, it would lead to about a thousand angry emails. This is real life. He makes a splash. He waltzes into his war room and has been like, we have the number one pick. All right. Well, what'd you give up? Give up our first this year. Good. I'll give up our first next year. And that you see that it cuts to the other war room guys are like, all right, that's fair. And then he's like, and then our, our third first. And the room stops. Yes. This trade is, I guess, modeled after the RG3 trade because that had happened uh, sure. a few years earlier, right? Wasn't that about the same haul? Yeah. So they actually directly reference it. It, it happens quickly, but they directly reference it in the movie saying something about, oh, well, you know, the Rams and the Redskins. So that's the the infamous trade 
that Washington made with the Rams to move up to get Robert Griffin. They packaged three first-round picks and a second-round pick to move up four spots so that they could take Griffin behind Andrew Locke. And that was in the 2012 draft. So when this movie is being made, the movie came out in 2014, it's being made in 2013. That's extremely recent history. I don't think it's, I I don't think there's any doubt that that's the trade that this is modeled off of. Now, of course, Griffin's rookie season, you know, before you get into injuries derailing his career, like the immediate response to that trade was, this is an indefensible amount to give up. Then when he looks like a superstar for a while, people start to think, oh, so to just to kind of consider when this happened, when this movie was made and where Griffin was in his career at that point. But generally speaking, that that trade is now considered one of the biggest whiffs in draft history. There aren't really that many other things that you can compare it to. I mean, obviously, the most famous draft trade in terms of picks given up to move up is the Ricky Williams trade, right? 99, Ditka giving up every single pick that he had in the draft. <laughs> <laughs> to move up from 12 to 5 to take a running back, Ricky Williams. When they do these first-round pick trades, though, they always say three first-round picks, but really it's two first-round picks and you moved up. And your pick that year. Yeah. Right? yeah. But it's still, yeah. I thought it was like a fairly reasonable price. The part that's indefensible is he doesn't discuss it with everybody and then it, with anybody. And then as we find out as the movie goes along, he does, hasn't really done a lot of background on Bo Callahan. And, yes. And they aren't totally sure. And he's like, oh, wait a second. Then has no idea that Brian Drew has been in the weight room. I don't I don't know. I honestly don't know what Sonny was doing for the last three months, but has no idea Brian Drew's been in the weight room and is in the best shape of his life and all that best stuff. Shape of his life. It's yeah. he's just finding out all this. It's it's almost like he's been <laughs> on an island for the last three months, knowing nothing. He's had a lot on his mind, you know. I do agree with you that in a vacuum, the amount of draft capital they gave up for the number one pick is not inherently indefensible. It does totally fall into the, well, if Bo Callahan is as good as he's supposed to be, then this is a trade that basically secures your franchise. And of course, let's not lose sight of the fact that we're talking about the Browns. Now, in the movie, Brian Drew may be presented as an eight-year vet who's in the best shape of his life coming off surgery and ready to help them win. And the coach has confidence in him. But you're ultimately talking about a, a franchise that's been looking for its franchise quarterback. They say that Bo Callahan is the best prospect since Andrew Luck. Now, on the one hand, again, Andrew Luck is the 2012 draft, so that's not a lot of time that's passed. But still, Andrew Luck was the best quarterback in the draft since Peyton Manning. So that's a pretty high bar. Heisman winner. Winning the Heisman obviously doesn't translate to guaranteed NFL success. But we hear Jonah from Veep say that he's the best quarterback prospect he's ever looked at on film. Like, he's supposed to be exceptional. So if that's the guy you actually think you're getting, then you can sell that. You can sell that trade. Well, especially the owner is saying, make a splash. And this guy is the splashiest guy in the draft. So that part makes sense. It just doesn't make sense that he doesn't talk to anyone. Not prepared for it at all. Yes. The second indefensible thing when he starts becoming worried about Bo Callahan. Mm-hmm. So something, something doesn't, something's not passing the sniff test. We're not, we're not sure what it is. He investigates this possibly bogus story that nobody showed up at Bo Callahan's 21st birthday party from his right. team. None of his teammates. Yep. Gets his intel, calls him at the draft and just asks him if winning's important to him. I don't know what the answer <laughs> is to that. Doesn't really like the answer. Mm-hmm. Here's what was the other thing he heard about Bo Callahan that made him nervous? The hundred dollar bill story, but that that ultimately is separated from the the birthday party story. He learns that on delay, and right, 
<laughs> remember he learns that in conjunction. This is all from Ralph, a.k.a. Dan from Deadwood. Uh, he learns that in conjunction with the the just tantalizing detail that there was only one stranger story, Bill, and it was that Brian Drew mailed back the $100 bill. <laughs> right. I have, the I have some thoughts on that later. And then he, he gets some Vontae Mack intelligence, too, about yes. like, go watch the watch tape, the tape. Which we'll, right. we'll get into later. So right. Costner inexplicably just decides, I'm not going to take the QB. I'm putting in Vontae Mack's name. Doesn't tell his owner or his staff. Doesn't try to trade down. Uh, doesn't make doesn't any call phone calls. Vontae Mack. Yeah. Vontae Mack, who's, if he doesn't go seventh, it's already been established he's going to fall into the teens. Yeah. The Texans at 15 seem to be the earliest possible candidate to pick him. And his, we see his agent tell him, even that is no sure thing. So he might plummet. <laughs> so ends up taking him first, which is... Mm-hmm. Really, 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 really ludicrous. Really ludicrous. <laughs> Incredibly ludicrous. Worst case there, you take Bo Callahan and then you try to like trade, you trade him after you have him. You buy more time to figure out, oh, Vontae Mack falls to 15. Maybe I could trade for him and get two more firsts, whatever. He doesn't do any Vontae of that Vontae Mack, stuff. no matter what, Bill. No matter what. So he traded up, he, he traded up and wasted mm-hmm. two more picks to take a guy who he could have got number seven. Horrendous. So then um, the franchise QB starts falling. Mm-hmm. Really unclear why. They kind of gloss over it because we've already established that this guy is at least on the Andrew Luck, um, Peyton Manning type of level of sure thing franchise QB. And if it's like, if he falls out of one, teams are just going to start calling frantically to try to trade up. There's going to be at least five teams in the draft who want him. Nobody wants him. He's just free falling. I have a contention that I was prepared to make in what age the worst, and I'm sure we'll return to it. But to me, this actually the single craziest thing in the movie, like less defensible than anything Sonny does, anything Tom Michaels does, is the idea that other teams would craft their draft strategy in response to what the Browns did. Like that is not happening. If Cleveland does something head scratching in the draft, every other team says, Cleveland's really bad at this. Let's go get our guy. They don't say, what does Cleveland know that we don't? They're the fucking Browns. So they're modeling this after Dan Marino when he falls in his draft in the 80s because there were drug rumors about him. And he falls 20 picks. It's a crazy draft to rewatch because they're kind of talking about it during the telecast. And then in it, the rest is history. He becomes one of the best quarterbacks ever. And then the Aaron Rodgers thing was the other one where it's like Aaron Rodgers or Alex Smith and then Aaron Rodgers drops. So my guess is when they're writing the script and they're talking about it and figuring out what makes sense, they're pointing to those two things and going, yeah, it's realistic. Bo Callahan would drop. The problem is it doesn't have anything in common with how football has worked the last 10 years. Somebody would have moved up and traded for him if he was as good as everybody's saying. Yeah, and there's also a crucial difference. Like when you mention Aaron Rodgers, you have to mention Alex Smith. There's another quarterback in play. Like NFL teams are drafting quarterbacks. That's what they do. And so the idea that they would all like it's Cleveland in in the first pick from Seattle, Rams, Dolphins, Cardinals, Broncos, and then obviously at six is Jacksonville, and that ends up getting traded twice. The idea that none of those other teams 
would take a quarterback just because they had a plan in place already. Like it, it's just hysterical. I love the part where they're like the Broncos have Herod. He's an all pro. It's inconceivable that any team would think about taking a quarterback who was supposed to be the second coming of Joe Montana or John. Well, the, the Broncos are the fault <laughs> of the movie because they would be the ones that traded the pick. Cause it's like, we have a quarterback. We'll trade right, back. We're good we'll pick here. up a yeah. shitload of assets. So with the Jaguars on the clock at six after every, after Callahan's just dropped. So good. He he calls the young Jacksonville GM who's just established yes. as a village idiot. This is the most realistic part of the movie because it's the Jacksonville GM is terrible. Um he, he Costa just gets the fir- the number six pick for three second round picks, which according to the trade value chart is actually like pretty fair value. The crazy part though is that Jacksonville doesn't talk to one other team. Right. They're like they have 10 minutes on the clock. Right. This is the first team that's called them and they're like, yeah, let's do it. They don't, they don't even think like maybe we should call Seattle and see if we want to drop back one spot. Call Seattle or take Bo Callahan. Right. Like the number of times that Jeff Carson, the ja- the Jags GM asks Sonny, what do you know about Callahan that we don't? Reinforces that they are considering taking him. And so again, the reason that they don't it's not because of anything that they have uncovered in months and months and months and months of scouting with the, with a player of Bo Callahan's caliber, years of scouting. Yeah, it is because in a matter of minutes, the Cleveland Browns have confused them. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. And then they make the trade and they're high fiving. It's like you guys are morons. And then if he, Sonny's Can't telling the donkey. you. That- Sonny's telling you the guy's going to be a bust and then is trying to trade for your pick. Nobody thinks this is suspicious either. Right. So that trade happens. And then Seattle, all of a sudden, ah, here it is. who's taking a ton of heat. And by the way, we're supposed to ignore the part where Seattle in real life has Russell Wilson. Well, and is coming off a Super Bowl. <laughs> in 2013. So it's like, this movie is totally, it's totally a realistic movie. We're using Chris Berman, Goodell's there, but it's like Seattle needs a QB. And meanwhile, they're the Super Bowl champs with Russell Wilson. It is asking a lot. I mean, one of the, this is from the half-assed internet research part of the pod, but the, the, the foil team was supposed to be the Jets. Yeah. And I think the movie works like almost it's almost difficult to articulate how much better the movie works if it's the Jets instead of the Seahawks because you can believe that the Jets would make mistakes like this. The Seahawks are one of the most dominant franchises of the past decade of football. Now, do they occasionally make a, a, a puzzling draft move? Yes, but typically they defend it from the we're one of the smart franchises perspectives. So the idea of going from we fleeced you to we just got fleeced worse in the span of 90 minutes, all because four people with hastily hand-drawn signs showed up in the parking lot and Sonny Weaver told you he looked at chat rooms, which I don't think is something that people have said since the early 90s. Very tough. Right. We don't see Sonny even go online during this entire day. He's, no. he's, and then throws out chat rooms, which should have been the first time. Too busy throwing computers at the wall to use the computer to go online. Here's the thing. So the Jets backed out. That wasn't half-assed inter- internet research, but it's, it's important. We should mention it now. The Jets would have been perfect. I think Arizona would have been perfect. And Arizona already has a sports movie lineage from Jerry Maguire. But I think at this point, Arizona needs a QB. They're in that 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 this was when we were 
all feeling so bad for Larry Fitzgerald. It's just year after year. He's got the John Skelton types. And Arizona would have been a good one too because you need a team that it's realistic that they're going to fuck this up. Seattle, when they're making this movie, is a top four unrealistic team and they had a quarterback. So none of that makes sense. There's also the added component of the fact that Russell Wilson was a, a Wisconsin quarterback. So like you you actually can't help but keep him in mind when you're thinking about Bo Callahan as a Wisconsin Badger great. <laughs> so Costner ends up trading... Uh, for all three first rounders and gets the punt returner out of it. Um, the end. Uh, I, out of those three, what's, what's the biggest stretch? I would say it's Jacksonville trading out of the six pick because they had a, a lead guy that got taken and then a backup guy and just were completely unprepared. <laughs> they had the six pick. They had, they had two guys they were looking at after that. Oh my God, what do we do? How do they not map out the draft? You know, Callahan's going first. You have a general sense of how two through five is going to go. You're you're completely out of options at six. That that part is so befuddling, and it's 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 compounded by the fact that he he says that the Rams took his pick when we have heard previously in the film that the Rams made their expected pick. Like this has clearly gone to script because teams are not adjusting. That's the whole point, and yet Jacksonville is just flummoxed. I think that it's tempting to say that the Jags trade is the 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 least defensible because they had really no reason to make it. But I but ultimately that's the the fairest exchange of value. It, so I, right. I to me it's the last trade. It's it's Sunny fleecing Tom that pancake eating motherfucker. Basically, the entire plot of the movie hinging on them being able to have a parallel conversation, but in reverse. Yeah. Tom not knowing what they had given up to Jacksonville, even though, as is established elsewhere in the movie because of the conversation with Sonny and Vontae about tweeting, this is the Twitter age. Like, information is out there very quickly. And an incredible, and I mean incredible amount of this movie boils down to saving $7 million against the cap. Like an incredible amount of this movie. That's how you're going to sell it to your fans who are so, the barbarians at the gate, we hear Sonny call them. Well, you got the same player and you got him for $7 million less. Nobody would give a shit about that. And if David Putney is the second coming of Devin Hester himself, then he shouldn't be a throw-in in the deal. And if he's not that good, then he shouldn't matter at all from Cleveland's perspective. So that part is just bizarre. I thought that hilarious. was like a dick swinging thing. That was just like, and I'm getting yeah, your punt returner. He's just, he just wants it. to say that he won, which he does. Well, we, li- we like this movie, <laughs> despite the fact that we just picked it apart. <laughs> yeah, but, but the whole so the whole movie boils down to, in essence, because he, he started at seven and he keeps the seven eventually, right? You have to move around to get back there, but he still has that. So in essence, he trades three second rounders for the number one pick in David Putney. Like that's the most boiled down. What did you gain and what did you add? And he comes out of having the first and seventh picks with a linebacker and a running back in a draft that's supposed to have one of the best quarterback prospects of all time. Very rough, even though he won the dick swinging contest. Very rough. Well, fun movie. This movie was, (laughs) this movie was directed by Ivan Reitman, a legend. And I think it might have been, yeah, it's the last movie he made. He made movies like, uh, you know, a bunch of Schwarzenegger movies. He does Ghostbusters, Stripes, Meatballs, Twins, Ghostbusters 2, Kindergarten Cop, Dave, one of my all-time favorites, Junior. Junior. (laughs) Uh, 
And then had done No Strings Attached in 2011. I mean, he made just an insane amount of money. And then Jason Reitman, who, a uh, friend of the ringer, his son, who ends up having a great career in himself. So Ivan Reitman just playing with house money at this point. Uh, yeah. We're going to do the categories because we like, we, we, I swear we like this movie. It's just <laughs> frustrated by the football traits. But it's so fun to talk about. That's part of what's enjoyable about it. Most rewatchable scene. First one I have mm. is the first trade negotiation when, uh, when Tom's eating pancakes. Well, I'm sitting here eating my pancakes. Thinking about moving number one. Really? Yeah, I mean, as you know, Connor did a great job for us last year. But Callahan looks like, well, hell, Sonny, he's going to be a franchise player for some. It's all arrogant about it. He tries to neg Brian Drew. Get Bo Callahan. He got a quarterback. Brian Drew? Are you talking about Brian Drew? Jesus, you're hilarious. Guy barely made it through half the season before getting injured last year. Then he does the, you've got 10 seconds, then I got to go back to work. There's no way football executives talk to each other like this, and this confrontationally. This Absolutely It's not, not nearly a, a, as much of a dick-swinging contest. And then Costner gives him the, enjoy your pancakes, Tom. You have 10 seconds, then I got to go to work. Enjoy your pancakes, Tom. And that's when you know you're in full-fledged Costner. All right, Costner's throwing 98. I'll let you do your Costner thing later. Second most rewatchable scene is uh, Chadwick Boseman's first scene. He plays Vontae mm-hmm. Mack, mm-hmm. and it's just delightful that he's in this movie. And I, I have a lot of Chadwick Boseman thoughts for later. Um, right. I just like everything he does in this movie. Third rewatchable scene, Sonny telling everybody about the Callahan trade in the next year's pick. And then our third number one, and the room, the air just comes out of the room. I thought we uh, had a QB. Tell me, what did we give up? A number one pick this year. And? First round pick next year. Okay, well, that's a lot, but you get a chance to play player like Callahan. And the year after that. Then he then goes to Jennifer Garner, our cap expert, who loves sports. She can mm-hmm. just rattle off all the moments of the 1989 Super Bowl, you know, really, or 1981. 93-yard drive. Yeah, just knows all the beats because it's important that we know this girl knows her sports. This isn't our typical sports movie girl. She can rattle off facts from the Niners Super Bowl. Uh, as as far as a cliche goes, it's this in Uma Thurman and Beautiful Girls. <laughs> Where it's just clearly writing somebody like, we have to make it clear this person likes sports. So he goes, Allie. Allie, you here? Yes. Can we make it work under the cap? Is this going to screw us up with a salary cap? Moving from seven to one. It's about another million and a half we weren't anticipating for this year. Maybe an extra five and a half million in signing bonus. We have that? We can make it work. Let me get into it. Maybe ask that question before the trade. I don't know. A little earlier. A little earlier. You might want to have some cap analytics in the giant ream full of draft a- analysis that your head coach is soon going to light on fire. Then uh, we have some good Dennis Leary Costner stuff. Dennis Leary is Coach Penn. Incredible. He's Incredible. Da- Dennis Leary's dialing it up. And then we have uh, the owner, played by Frank Langella, Anthony Molina. Mm-hmm. Amazing performance. Amazing. I'm just definitely arrested. The character was arrested two years later for insider trading or something. He says, Bo Callahan's going to be the son I've never had. So we got that scene. We have the scene where Vontae tells Sonny he made a mistake. Watch the tape. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I did. I watched the tape. No, you didn't watch the tape. Oh, what's going on there? I like everything that happens in that scene. I like the scene when Sonny in the War Room actually rewatched the Bo Calla and Vontae Mack tape. This is I a sports movie yeah. trick. Blue chips used too when Nick Dolte's character becomes convinced that Tony, the point guard, was shaving points maybe. Right, right. And then they go, they have a VCR tape that's just magically going to the perfect spots <laughs> and fast forwarding, rewinding. There's no delays. Same thing here. Cue up the second sack. Cue up the third thing. Guys just has it. Has it right at the tip of his fingers. But that scene's good. I love that scene. I really like when the Browns take Vontae Mack. Yes. Yes. I think that's a that's Chadwick Boseman's joy at just the moment, being just shocked, stupefied, all the people around him. And then the war room just freaking out. What the fuck? <laughs> we traded three first-round picks to get a linebacker. Um, oh, then the scene we mentioned, Sonny gets his picks from Seattle back. I'm sorry that deal's now off the table. I'm sorry that deal's now off the table. What? We live in a different world than we did just 30 seconds ago. What? What do you want now? I want my picks back. And I want David Putney. I need a punt returner. Amazing. I want all my picks back. I want David goddamn Putney just because I feel like it. And then your favorite line. Come on, Tom, say it with me, you pancake-eating motherfucker. motherfucker. Come on, Tom, say it with me, you pancake-eating motherfucker. I think the only F-bomb in this movie. Yeah, yeah. And then a a scene that I know, uh, another rewatchable scene that I know was near and dear to your heart. Ray Jennings finding out he's going to be a brown. (laughs) That scene actually really bothers me because (laughs) Arian Foster as Ray Jennings just never responds to the question. (laughs) Jeff right. just can't yeah, he doesn't speak so strange doesn't just it, n- never responds the whole the the obviously one of the the holiest moments of the actual draft day experience is receiving the phone call and for Ray to not respond on the call obviously he's overcome with emotion but even so and for Vontae to never receive the call in the first place obviously to preserve the dramatic moment of the reveal is just so 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 funny so what do you have for most rewatchable scene I I mean, I'll throw two other quick ones in the consideration set, which is, which are both about Ralph revealing things about Bo's character. I think the Bo birthday reveal is exceptional. It's just exceptional. Ask me who wasn't there. <laughs> who wasn't there, Ralph? Standard operating procedure. But Ask me who wasn't there. Who wasn't there, Ralph? Any of his teammates. None of his teammates came to the poor guy's birthday party, Sonny. And then shortly thereafter, the $100 bill playbook reveal, learning that Bo is the only player who has ever lied twice <laughs> about the same thing. Lying about reading the playbook in the in the first place, and then when they throw the $100 bill into the equation, doubling down on the lie by pretending that he did, in fact, remember it. And then the absolutely iconic payoff to that story, when Ralph starts to say, said it was the second stranger's response he had seen to the $100 bill thing. Want to know what the first was? And he's building, he's building, he's building to the reveal. And he says again, do you want to know who that kid was? And Sonny just screams, no! <laughs> yeah, don't tell me. <laughs> it was Ryan Drew. So I love both of those, but I think for me, it has to be, it has to be the second trade with the Seahawks. Maneuvering 
for Seattle to acquire the sixth pick, getting back the number ones. I mean, the pancake eating motherfucker line is absolutely like a pantheon moment in this movie. But I think there are a lot of other lines and exchanges in that scene that actually like really crackle and are part of what is so enjoyable about watching this movie. Like when when Costner says after Tom Michaels doesn't know the name of the Jags GM, which remember, neither did Sonny like four minutes earlier in the movie and now he's yeah. he's appalled he's so morally superior because tom michaels doesn't know his name it's jeff carson tom lord god let that infant john carson screw this up it's jeff carson tom and he doesn't have the pick i do what i just made a trade with jacksonville i'm on the clock it's me <laughs> the the score is beating into place and the score is designed to mimic the ticking clock and like you do kind of feel your heart pounding as you're watching this and i think that the the symmetry of that scene as the bookend to the first trade is actually like in a movie where we are making fun of again from a position of love the logic like that actually is kind of a rewarding structure as a viewer to see the payoff of of sunny being able to throw back all of those maneuvers and all of the, the actual language back in Tom's face. You also just, I think you just feel the momentum of the movie the most in that moment. And so uh, that, that, that's my pick. It's just, it, it's in a flawed rewatchable. It's the closest thing in this movie to flawless, even though almost nothing about it makes sense. I love it. I 100% agree. If the, and here's why we made it a rewatchables. If this movie's on television and we're heading toward that part of the movie, I'm going to watch it. Absolutely. I'm like, cool. Coster's getting his picks back. Definitely of watching course. this. So that's why that's why we're doing this. Just for the record, he's fending off his imminent firing from the owner who has just charged in after teleporting from New York, which we'll get to later. Yeah. It's like, What's aged the best is our next category. Um, oh boy, I think this movie's <laughs> aged the best just as like a cable movie, as an on-demand movie, as a streaming movie, as a movie you would watch on an airplane. Mm-hmm. And I and I don't know if this was necessarily a movie that ever even should have come out in a movie theater. I don't know why people would have seen it oh. in a movie theater. And now you think like in well, 2000 and they didn't. <laughs> but I think it is one of those movies. I went through this because I was one of the producers on Million Dollar Arm. And it was a movie that people eventually saw. Just not on the timetable we wanted. But at some point, everyone saw it. I do feel like anyone... I knew eventually got to it, but it took a year and a half. And I think draft day was like this too. I think in 2020, this is a Netflix movie. Mm-hmm. Netflix buys it for 30 million. They blow it out. They put it out two weeks before the NFL draft. They put Costner on their front screen and it works and it's going to be good. Um, I really like the split screen. I know producer Craig, who we're going to bring in at the end was oh my upset. God. I thought, <laughs> listen, split oh, screen no. can go so badly in movies and has, I thought this was the best version of it because so much of it is on the phone right? that you want to see the characters and there is really no other way to do it. But I, I actually, I thought the effects that they used to try to keep it moving, I, I think that's the only way it would have worked. Otherwise, you're just cutting back and forth between phone calls, which doesn't, isn't that compelling. Interesting. So I have, I have the split screens in a what's aged the worst because it is, I just think it's, it's so distracting. Like it, it's, I actually think that the logic behind it is sound 
And there's a part of that making of documentary that's devoted to it. It's exactly what you just said. They knew that too much of the movie hinged on people having phone calls and people talking and that it would just start to feel for a movie that is, again, uh, designed against a clock and is supposed to be about this kind of like rush, this hurry, that it would just slow down and feel too, too like too much stasis had seeped in. That I actually get. I think having people pop into each other's environments is a, is a really fun idea. It's just the actual nature of the effect feels you know, we're in the TikTok age right now. And like you can do more advanced things on your phone in five seconds. So I think in that sense, it just feels a little, you know, no, I feel bad, like no shade at the people who invented this. I, I thought the way they talked about it and like background as, as you know, thinking about the photos in a newspaper and how you like the, the way that you kind of uh, inject depth and ambiance into a flat page is by having like an elbow stick out over the edge of a, a, a box that's supposed to contain an image. I, I like all of that logic. It's just like, it's, it's so silly. I'm pro split screen. I'm not listening. Okay. To. All right. That's fine. Next. What's age the best? Chadwick Boseman is Vante Mack. Um, I, look, there's certain movies that aren't great sports movies, but have great sports movie characters. Are you sick? No, just terrible seasonal allergies right now. Oh, terrible. Tell me about it. May is Ugh. not one of my favorite months. Brutal. Sorry. I'm I'm watching Mallory on Zoom and she's blowing her nose and I'm starting to get worried about the COVID. Oh my God. You'll know when I when I am sick, I assure you. <laughs> okay. Uh I like when there's great sports movie characters and sports movies that aren't that good. And then ideally you have like somebody like Cuba Gooding's uh, character, Rod Tidwell and Jerry Maguire, where the movie is good and he's awesome in it. It, This is hard because he's not in the movie that much, but comes out as super likable, super realistic. I'm totally in. And this is Chadwick Boseman coming off the Jackie Robinson movie, probably not really wanting to be in another sports movie, but uh, also not sure how big he is. Like there are scenes where it's like, this guy's a Ray Lewis linebacker type basically and and he's the smallest guy in three different rooms you know what though that i that i like and i'll 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 toss that back in as a what's age the best because we're in the era of the the flexible defender Mm. you know think about like (laughs) think about a a derwin james type i mean i i still you know the the draft we just lived through uh a couple weeks ago in, in real time here i still can't believe that isaiah simmons fell and these linebackers who can play linebacker, can play safety, can play anywhere in the back seven. And we hear that Vontae Mack is speedy. He's fast. He's lightning quick out of a 3-4 scheme. So I think that he's the kind of defender who a creative coordinator would get really excited about being able to deploy in almost a positionless capacity. In so you're 5'9", you're 5'9", 230 pound outside <laughs> linebacker. You like that one. Okay. I thought he was really good Not in this number movie. number one. Yeah, he's great. Great opening line in this where he's like, who's the most desperate guy you know is a good way Very to set tough. up like, oh, it's Sonny Weaver. Yeah. And then tough it's that like, he's oh, like, he's desperate because his dad just died. Let's fleece him. Cool. And he's getting, <laughs> and he's getting murdered in Cleveland. And it's a good, it's like, oh, why is he desperate? Really nice use of uh, the ESPN telecast, another What Stage the Best, where that's another thing that's gone horribly in a lot of different movies. We're like, oh, we'll use the network. And either they overpower the movie or 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 they don't do it correctly or whatever. I, I actually thought in this movie they did it really well. And even Berman is is fairly tolerable. Yeah, I have I have that in a what's age the best as well. I mean, I think there's a, a 
an underbelly to the NFL's involvement and the official involvement, which we'll get to in What's Age the Worst. But I think that actually filming the movie at the draft, like at the actual draft in 2013, to capture that authenticity. And part of that is about getting the real the real analysts and broadcasters involved. Part of it is having Goodell make the pick. But the actual capturing the ambiance in Radio City, especially now that we've moved, obviously this year was very different because it was a quarantine draft, but with the draft moving to other cities, which I think is, is fun in a lot of ways, it was really cool to just return to that moment that I think is most emblematic of how you imagine the NFL draft in your mind. I, I really enjoyed that. Good helicopter shots, too, of a couple <laughs> different locations. I liked... Uh... Twist my arm. I kind of like Dennis Leary as a head coach. <laughs> he's thought, really on one in this movie. I thought, yeah, he's he dials it up, and I, I think he has to because of the energy of a lot of the other characters in this movie. But I could see him on the sidelines holding a clipboard, yelling at a oh, coordinator. Sure. And I, I thought he was realistic. But more realistic was Frank Langella as as our owner, oh, Anthony. God. He's great. He This is the second time he's played an owner in a sports movie because he's also the owner in Eddie. And he's equally insane in that movie. That was the movie where he fell in love with Whoopi Goldberg. Um, he's also reunited with Kevin Dunn from Dave. That's right. That was the dream, the dream team running uh, the White House behind the scenes. So, and that was directed by Ivan Reitman. So that was fun. Frank Langella is always killing it in movies, Elite. and he's really good in this. Wearing sunglasses in almost this entire film is really uh, absolutely exceptional creative decision and flex. I love it. The uh, we talked about the Browns doing crazy shit on draft day. Uh, that's age the best, obviously. Sonny's don't Twitter advice to Vontae Mack. I like that he said don't Twitter, which was funny. That's such an old guy way to say it. But by the Classic. way, great advice. Stay off social media, athletes. I have this in what's age the worst. Why? Because while. While it is totally believable that a GM would not want the player that he covets to to tweet at all, let alone to tweet disparaging things about his decision making, I think it is it is incongruous with the moment in time in which the movie is made and where the league is heading. And it, and what part of what's aged the worst is that you're processing it now, right? And you talk about this all the time: how NFL players are not as famous as NBA players. And so much, I mean, there, there are a million factors that feed into that, but the NFL wants its players to be famous, wants its players to develop personalities that fans can actually access in some way. And I think if like, if you just, again, go back to the draft we actually just experienced, which yes, was tethered to a digital apparatus in a way that is uncommon, but every single team spent the entire night retweeting Whatever the players that they had just drafted had tweeted. That's how it works now. That's how players engage with fans and build up a persona that teams can then market. And I think that it's more realistic now that teams try to craft or control that rather than just saying, like, become a hermit and don't live your life online. But just my take. With all that said, I fully support a guy who runs something telling his younger employees to stay the fuck off social media. There's no upside. I might have been in that position once or twice in my life. <laughs> uh, don't Twitter. Really, there is, there's not a lot of upside with Twitter. I, I, that's a one stage the best for me. Being early on the never tweet movement is, is definitely eternal advice for sure. Jacksonville having a terrible GM has aged the best. Absolutely. They, they, they're the dumbest team in the last two years. Look, to be fair, the Jags have made some 
excellent draft picks. I mean, let, let's not forget Jalen Ramsey. You know, I like that. I'm I like the Josh Allen pick the last two years. Last year. Well, I mean, who did they who did they actually take in 2014? This is the Blake Bortles draft. It's almost too perfect. Oh, wow. I didn't even realize. <laughs> I forgot that. That's great. And then the last what's age the best I have. I'm timing this. You have 90 seconds. Oh, God. Here's what okay. I wrote for the last what's age the best. You have 90 seconds. Okay. A throwback Costner performance, parentheses, he's as likable <laughs> as ever. Yeah, I mean, my number one what's age the best is Costner in a sports movie and really just I figured Costner, it would be. Period. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not sure I should be allowed to speak about this at all, let alone for 90 seconds, but he's just... He's undefeated. He really is. I mean, he is so effortlessly charismatic and compelling in all of these sports movies. You know that my favorite is Bull Durham, but Field of Dreams, we did. We had the pleasure of discussing for love of the game and Field of Dreams together. Tin Cup. Now we have draft day, a football movie in the in the in the sporting pantheon. A hold racing on. movie, Bill. Hold on. You forgot. Yeah. American Flyers. No, an American Flyers. He's McFarlane great. USA. On and on the list goes. He's the, he's he's the Michael he's the Jordan king. of sports movies. The the king of sports movies, and you do. There are some there are some great moments in the the making of featurette where the screenwriters are talking about how when they heard him recite the dialogue, it was just basically like he had invented it. Like it just felt like it was actually happening in real time, which is of course the thing that people always say about their movies, but because Costner is always so believable in any kind of sporting role, it just, there felt like there was an air of authenticity behind that, that comment that I actually really enjoyed. He is, he's just mesmerizing. I love him so much. I love when, when you see Kevin Costner say, I've been stepping on my dick all day. And you know, because it's Kevin Costner, that's actually possible. Yeah, but it might actually be <laughs> factually accurate. <laughs> the human tripod, Kevin Costner. Uh, listen. So good. He's the only person this movie works with. I, oh, I think yeah. you could make a case for Brad Pitt, but he had already kind of done it in Moneyball. And I, I'm not sure he's old enough either. Other than that, I have no idea. I, I don't think there's any other actor you'd want to put in there. Denzel would be kind of interesting, but I'm not. I'm not sure Denzel could handle the the comedy parts as as deftly as uh, as Costner does in here. And uh, he just carries it. He's it's he's the reason that this movie's rewatchable. He's great in it. Uh, what stage is the worst? Wow. Other than all the yeah. stuff we already mentioned, P Diddy as a as a high powered sports mm. agent. Yeah, not convincing. His scenes are bad. Yeah. He's not a good actor. Well, and it's also, there are also all the Bo Callahan scenes, which are designed to be kind of like flat and stilted and awkward. So the deck is a little bit stacked against him in that sense. You know, you're supposed to feel uncomfortable watching them. But yeah, it's, it's, it's <laughs> considering how many famous people are in this movie in some capacity, whether celebrities or media personalities or actual NFL players. The, 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 the puff daddy one is definitely the one that feels like it lands the least. I mean, you could basically take six different people from the wire and you're better off. You could have Jamie Hector who played Marlowe and go for like kind of a sinister, sinister ish agent. You could have Idris Alba who just, that would have been like, oh, cool. He's in this movie and every scene with Bo Callahan is now good. You could add Bunk 
Give me any wire actor over over P Diddy. I I don't, just don't understand that one. But not as bad as uh, Jennifer Garner as the salary cap expert. This is mm-hmm. the trades are fun mm-hmm. because they're bad. I enjoy being annoyed by by the every scene with her and Costner is just bad. And it's like they're just repeatedly ducking into closets. She's pressuring him because she's pregnant, which they set up early, and and. He's reacting to that very strangely. It makes it makes him less likable. She's, I, I just don't understand how when they, you know, this is like that run in the '90s when the hottest actresses would be like nuclear physicists and these these mm-hmm. positions that, you know, just seem completely unrealistic. Her as just the 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 amazing football fan salary cap expert. I just couldn't get past the fact that it was Jennifer Garner. It was just ludicrous. And if you're going to go hot actress, then go somebody, go with somebody who's going to have some real chemistry with Costner. I want to feel like he might fuck her in the closet. And you don't feel that ever in this movie. Uh, It's just a misfire. Yeah. They, they, they do not have chemistry and it's, it's pretty hard to not have chemistry with Kevin Costner. It's one of the only times it's happened, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's strange. I mean, I don't think it helps that the bulk of their scenes take place in the su- supply cabinet for uh, reasons right. that remain unclear to me, other than the fact that they're actually filming at Cleveland's facilities and there aren't a ton of other more compelling options. But yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a tough one because, you know, there is a part of me as a woman who loves sports and is in sports media that actually was like, oh, this is cool getting to see a woman who is a high-ranking executive and somebody who is actually in a decision-making role in the organization. But then, of course, it has to be wrapped up in an illicit love affair and who knows they're together and who doesn't and how will the sexist coach wield it uncomfortably in a conversation at the cafeteria when he tests her football knowledge. Like, that's kind of where it's just like, oh, my God. It's out of, it's out of like 1987. Not to mention, there's another what's age the worst of just two people getting involved at work, which now <laughs> both of them get fired. It's like, wait a second, the GM's banging the salary cap expert. You're both, you're both gone. You're fired. You know, you'd like to encourage them to to disclose their relationship through through official channels, which is what the decision that they make at the end. I think they'll be fine. I'm happy for them. They definitely weren't disclosing it. They were hiding in broom closets. There was no disclosure at all. They're discussing how to move forward with their lives together. And she says she doesn't want to be secret. And he says, okay, they're ready to take it to the next level. I support them. It's terrible. It's a ludicrous <laughs> subplot. I hated it. Uh, the hey, Bo, how important is winning to you is idiotic, but we already talked about that. Taking a running back with a top 10 pick is a what stage is the worst. They, this oh might be God. one of the last times it happened. Leonard Fournette officially ended it. But uh, just that Ray Jennings with the number seven pick, it would never happen. You'd be like, nah, we'll get him at number 31. Yeah, I mean, this is this is my top what's age the worst. And it's it's not just that it's the combo. Now, again, I, I, I love a versatile linebacker, but trading up to take a linebacker at number one and then taking a running back at number seven is just like bold font, not in today's NFL. And it is actually, I think, even more hysterical to consider, again, against the backdrop of the Browns' actual drafting history. Because in 2012, they took Trent Richardson at number three overall, one of the all-time running back draft busts. Now, nobody loved watching Trent Richardson run the ball at Alabama more than I did. I routinely watch his touchdown run against Ole Miss just for fun. But you kind of can't help if you're an actual football fan 
keep that in mind as you're watching. And I think that gets back to the thing you were saying earlier about, you know, if you're a sports fan, you don't want to constantly just nitpick, even though we'll have a nitpicking category, because that 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 gets to be kind of like a, a Debbie Downer situation. But the movie does operate in an interesting realm where if you have a lot of sports knowledge, it's it's basically impossible to not apply that to how you watch the movie. And if you don't have that sports knowledge, the movie is almost impenetrable because of the mechanics of what is driving every single decision. Also, in terms of the running back aspect, we hear Coach Penn say that the offense ranked 28th in the league the season prior. But the head coach, who is throwing his Super Bowl ring in anybody's face whenever he gets a chance, thinks that the solution to that is to draft a running back. So I had that in nitpicks because it was like, is Coach Penn's offense out of like 1980? Nine? Is it is it Bizarre. was he studying old Herschel Walker tapes being like, hey, <laughs> this can work. The offense that he wants is an offense really nobody else in the league is that interested in doing at this point. And if so you're looking strange. even in 2014, if you're looking at a running back that high, you want it to be somebody who's like a three down guy and catch the ball to the backfield. This is just seems more like a pound the line kind of running back. Uh, all of it is. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Fournette, obviously Ezekiel Elliott, Todd Gurley, like we've seen running backs drafted quite highly recently. It's not like this never happens, but those are players who are supposed to be absolutely exceptional talents, you know, taking Todd Gurley's degenerative knee issue out of the equation for a minute. There were a few years where that looked like it was, it was the right move for the Rams. It, it, to, to structure the rehabilitation of your offense off the idea that your eight-year vet QB coming off surgery and a running back who you're drafting at seven, who, by the way, Barb, Sonny's mom, thinks would have been a steal at seven, Bill. A steal. Yeah. Like, that's the other part of this is that there's the, the whole aspect of his Cleveland legacy because his father, Aaron, <laughs> Ray Jennings' father, Aaron Foster's father in the movie is Terry Crews, was a Cleveland great. And so Ray Jennings wants to be in Cleveland. And there's something appealing about that from the Browns' perspective, the idea that someone will want to be there. But he also had to have a call with Sonny about how he can't punch people because he needs to protect his hands. Well, I like the that Ray Jennings was a Cleveland great. So what what year what year range was this? Because the <laughs> Cleveland had no great moments after 1993, 1994, they won a playoff game. So was he, was he, ba is he basically Ernest Biner? I mean, in or did the he replace Ernest Biner? The movie, I think we're supposed to think that they've been better than that recently because, you know, we hear that Brian Drew has been a playoff quarterback. I, I think you're just supposed to assume that they've had stronger rosters. Also, just the fact that Coach Weaver is revered kind of implies that he could not have been overseeing total dog shit teams for his entire tenure, yeah. right? Uh, the last what's age the worst? Oh my God. Every Roger Goodell cameo from my end. Um, this is right around the time when we had all really turned on Goodell. It's post Bounty yeah. Gate. It's post referee strike. We're about to hit the Flake Gate. The wheels had kind of come off on the Goodell experience. And mm -hmm. him, first of all, they have the little cameo where he sees Franklin Jell's character. They got to work that in. Hey, right. he's speaking line. But then uh, he comes out to just cheers. Yeah. At the yeah. beginning. And, and this is already at the point where he's just getting booed lustily, you know, and it gets worse and worse. But oh, yeah. for them to just 
try to be so realistic with so many other parts of the NFL and the NFL draft. But this is the one thing that kind of bent down where it's like, ah, we'll have everyone cheer Goodell. It's like, no, you can't do that. Yeah. Just use so, a different commissioner. This is this is the the underbelly that I mentioned earlier. You know, it is fun to see Jim Brown around the Cleveland Browns. It is Bernie Kosar. It is, yeah, Bernie Kos Bernie Kosar just just crushing it in that scene. Calm, stoic, collected. It's it's fun to have Bo Callahan's scenes actually take place in the green room. You know, it's fun to see Chris Berman and Rich Eisen. We get John Gruden and Mike Mayock in this movie. How sweet is that now that they're yeah. actually making draft decisions for the Raiders? Oh, wow. That's a What Saves yeah. the Best. Yeah, I, I actually had that in What Saves the Best. That That's all great. But the Goodell the Goodell thing that you just discussed is part of the larger what's age the worst aspect of this, which is just that the NFL's involvement in the movie, it lends that air of authenticity, but it also it just saps the movie of a, a certain edge that it needs. You know, there's a baller's route for this film that just makes it, I think, a, a, a better movie. You know, it needs to be it needs to be more risque. And it, it's ultimately like you you, you noted that. And cursing is not everything, but you noted that the pancake eating motherfucker line is the only time that he says fuck in this movie. That's bizarre. You know, think of how people speak in real life, but certainly how people in a high pressure dick swinging occupation speak like this film is just too chaste. The most risque thing that happens is the conversation about Bo Callahan's sex life, which is hilarious, but kind of like almost out of place with the rest of the movie. So I think that the NFL getting involved and saying, this is how we want this to be. This is what we're going to be okay with. Just saps the movie of a certain like sensory overload level of absurdity. That well, you kind of need. As we found out from ballers, they didn't need the NFL's permission. Right. I mean, they would have had to need permission to film at the draft in the war room, stuff like that. But ballers basically said, we're going to use the, Teams yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Fuck you. Come, come get us. And it's fair use. And the NFL had no case. So we learned that. We learned that with Uncut Gems too. So um, I have a cast- couple more. All right. Let's Quickly. go quick because we're. So we 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 already talked about many of these. Like no other team knowing what they're doing and just making their draft decisions based on the Browns getting spooked. Seattle being the incompetent team. The Jags GM. Everything that we already talked about there. I think that the sunny. Us buying Sonny as a genius, even though he basically knows nothing, is just, it's just strange. I mean, he asks who's drafting fourth. He's the GM of an NFL team, and he asks who's drafting fourth. And then when he hears it's Arizona, he asks who they're supposed to take. Like, his team was prepping to draft seventh. He should know that. He doesn't know the Jags GM's first name, even though he's a rookie. Like, he doesn't know one of his peers in the league. That's that's ludicrous. He and his team did not scout Bo Callahan, the top quarterback in the draft, or consider the capital implications of making that deal. They are so unprepared for the prospect of having to think about the best player in the draft that they have to light their draft analysis on fire. I think that um, the premise that the Browns already have a reliable quarterback on the roster is also something that's aged the worst, just given the actual history of quarterback play for the Brown. We already talked about the Twitter thing. We already talked about the split screen, Coach Penn's sexism. I'll toss in Sonny's uh, needless bullying of poor intern Rick. Shit show Johnny. <laughs> Poor Rick. <laughs> oh, God. 
All right. Casting what ifs, I couldn't find any. They, you're not going to believe this, but there's not None. a ton of information about this movie. The only casting what if to consider is is the main team. If it had been the Bills as it was supposed to be instead of the Browns. Right. That's, that's good. It. Should have been the Bills. It actually would have been more fun if it was the Bills. I would have enjoyed it. So? Yeah. I think the Browns were actually too big of a train wreck to be in a sports movie without that being the dominant theme of the sports movie. The Bills, okay. at least, you know, they they had been just a little more competent than the Browns. They had the Super Bowls from the 90s. There's the same kind of fan base that's desperate for a champ. I think it would have accomplished all the things that Brown did without the elephant in the room and the Browns just being a complete, utter disaster. Yeah, I, I think that if it had been both the Bills and the Jets as, is, as it was supposed to be, you kind of probably can't get over the fact that you would never see trades like that inside of a division. Yeah, that just true. would have been an unclearable hurdle. But... I, I guess it's just become so in vogue and so fashionable for the Browns to represent a certain kind of incompetence that it, they feel like the right team because when they're doing things that are nonsensical, it tracks. And then when they overcome that, you do feel like you have invested in seeing them succeed. So I, well, I, I prefer it, the Browns to the Bills. It worked out because of what happened in the 2014 draft. So retroactively, sure. um, I think the Bills fans would have personally uh, thrown themselves more into this movie and been more invested in it because the Bills fans um, are, you know, they remember every time they beat Brady. Like, they're just maniacs. I think they would have had more fun with it. Yeah. So the one of the screenwriters, Rajiv Joseph, who's from Cleveland, actually, he he said in that making of feature, we needed this city and this team to be one of those teams and one of those cities that the fans live and die by their team and actually haven't seen a lot of success. So the, the Bills certainly would have. The Bills fans spirit. donated to Andy, donated money for Andy Dalton after he uh, he won that playoff game. That was great. Uh, best that guy, aka the Joey Ooh. Pants Award. Some good candidates. Kevin Dunn, not a that guy. Just for the record, he's Kevin Dunn. Okay. He uh, he was the guy who calls in the Vontae Mack yeah. pick, greets Frank Langella yeah. coming up. A lot of deep action in this movie. Chi McBride, also not a that guy. Terry Crews, okay. not a that guy. Okay. The guy from Veep, not a that guy. Okay. You know who is that guy? Tom, the Seattle GM. I didn't know what that guy's name was. I had to look it up. Anytime I see him in anything else, I'm like, oh, it's the Seahawks GM. His name is Patrick St. Espirit. Great stuff. Yeah, there you go. So he wins. Okay, I had two nominees. W. Earl Brown, who plays Ralph, a.k.a. Dan from Deadwood and Warren from Something About Mary. Who looks like Meatloaf's younger brother. Wonderful musician, actually, in real life. And then the other the other That Guy nomination, this is a, a small one, but Brad William Henke, a.k.a. the strength coach, Tony oh, Bagley, yeah. Bagel. Yeah. He does have one of those faces that when you see him, you're like, oh, my God, it's that guy. Coover and Justified, Bram and Lost. I have him coming up in a second. The okay. Vincent Hanna, she's got a great ass award for overacting. There's only one nominee. It's Dennis Leary. Yeah. I had my choice of teams to coach, Sonny, and I chose this team, okay? I chose to coach this team. Not the team you're putting together in your head on the fly because your old man died last week and you're tapping one of your execs. What did you just say? (laughs) It's just a runaway. (laughs) Runaway. I'm not not sure exactly what he was going for in this movie, but I enjoy it. Oh, my God. But it's definitely, there was some thought put into it. Oh, my God. I don't know. I would love to know. Maybe it wasn't on the feature at what coaches he modeled his performance after. Um, you know, 
It's funny that you say that because he has a really cryptic line in the making of about how he consulted with somebody. And I'm like desperate to know who that was. Desperate to know who that was. It it feels a little Jim Harbaugh-y, but older. Interesting. So older Jim Harbaugh. Hmm. Uh, I don't know who it was. Dan Waiters Award. Oh, man. Some great ones here, too. So the Brown strength and conditioning coach. Yeah. Comes in hot. That one scene <laughs> hits a couple threes. Your guy, Sam Elliott. This is the pick, I think. Chris Berman. Okay. I My pick is Chadwick Boseman. He's only in like four scenes, and I think he's great. Interesting. I, had, I was torn here. I had two picks. Sam Elliott. It could it be that when the cops got to the place and realized that my boys had done nothing wrong, decided not to take down any of the players' names because they didn't want to jam up a bunch of good kids for doing nothing. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Well, your theory seems right. Bo Callahan. Bo Callahan hasn't got any friends. Good luck with the draft today. In one scene, manages to somehow completely dominate the movie with his charisma and has the absolutely perfect, don't overthink this like your dad would have. Yeah. yeah. Bo Callahan's some of my finest work. What can you tell me about him? I can tell you what I just told you is some of my finest work. Anything else? You have the tapes. He's the real deal, Sonny. Don't overthink this like your dad would have. No offense. It's great. <laughs> that clearly impacts Sonny's psyche the rest of the way. I, what about what about our dude, Anthony Molina, owner of the Browns, Frank Langella? He is wearing sunglasses in every scene of this movie. He is proudly saying on the making of extra, I know absolutely nothing about football. And you can really feel that. His whole approach to the role was, I don't need to know anything about football. I just need to be a rich guy who gets what he wants. So I thought, I was worried he was in it too much. I didn't consider He him. might be. It's on the it's I thought the he line. had too many scenes. Okay. All right. Sam Elliott coming in hot. I, I want the sequel of just Sam Elliott coaching uh, the University of Wisconsin. He's doing his thing work. there. <laughs> recasting couch. I thought about this long and hard, who I would recast in the Jennifer Garner part, which just doesn't, she just doesn't work in that role for a lot of reasons. Also, who would bring out the side of Costner that I think you love the most? The I volunteer as tribute. <laughs> Eva Mendez. Let's dial it up. Okay. If we're gonna, if we're gonna have the super attractive NFL salary cap expert, let's dial it up a notch. Okay. Let's go even sexier. Let's bring in a Latina. She's she's gonna dress in a way that it's like right on the line of being inappropriate, but won't cross it. It'll be ridiculous that she's the NFL salary cap expert, and every time she's in a closet with Costner, we're gonna be worried they're just gonna start going at it. Right. I think that's what we want from this role, unless you can top it. Well, I, I don't know that I have a nominee here that makes sense. I think that I'm a little more accepting of that performance than you are, just because I do think that Jennifer Gardner captures the I'm out. seriousness that you need to in that role. Like you, are, you have to take her serious. All right, I'll, I'll stop trying to convince you. I'm out. But I, I don't have a nominee. I do think like the movie is again, it's one where you can barely think of it functioning if almost any of the roles are recast. I had one other recasting couch. If they used a real-life quarterback for Brian Drew, 
And if oh. they did, who would you have wanted? Ryan Tannehill. Oh. Yeah. Well, because, this is 2014. He's too young. Well, we're making it again now or we're going back to 2014. Um, no, we're hmm. making it in 2014. So the guy has to be in the league for at least a little bit. I was thinking it would be somebody a little fringy like Trent Edwards. We'd be like, oh, Trent Edwards is Brian Drew. That's weird. Somebody like that like, who was even that good. What about like Fitzpatrick? Ryan Fitz? Yeah, or like Hoyer. You know, somebody who you can buy as an NFL player, but you don't think of as being a star. You have to Hoyer. accept that there would be Hoyer's some people in the franchise who are really attached to him. And also that you would your eyebrows would go up if you heard that he was suddenly throwing the ball 15 yards farther than he was supposed to be. I like Hoyer. We did a lot. It would be Tannehill now, though, for sure. We mentioned... Well, though that's the best case scenario for Brian Drew is the Ryan Tannehill mid, yeah, the you know, resurgence. Eighth, eighth year resurgence. We mentioned a lot of the half ass internet research already. The, they changed it to the Browns because it was cheaper to film it in Ohio. Right. Um, Andrew Brandt, mm-hmm. who's now a media guy, former this. Packers guy, shredded it. He said, quote, yeah. lacking any true description of how an NFL team operates leading up <laughs> to and during the draft. Uh, come oh, on. God. The trick of the hundred dollar bill, uh, was a famous Jamarcus Russell story that they did it. They the put tapes. it in a playbook to see if you're uh, uh, not a playbook, uh, a blank DVD to blank see tapes. if you watched yeah. it. Um, this screenplay was a famous screenplay. It was Blacklist. mentioned in the 2012 blacklist. And then the NFL did nix one thing when, uh, when the angry Browns fans in the script hung Costner's character in effigy. And the NFL is like, you're not doing that. Jesus. Oh Costner, my God. Costner's quote was, I thought it was a real funny moment, but I think the NFL is really cracking down on fan behavior. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Oh my God. I had not heard that. That's kind of terrifying. There's not like nearly as much about this movie as, as you would think. Like it, it's no. hard to it's find. Because it wasn't successful. To, Nobody's like, hey, here's my I draft need to tell day. You more feature. about draft day. Yeah. They I, I do love this one. The uh the screenwriters have, have said that they consulted for two hours with former Jets GM Mike Dannenbaum. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that's a fun one. So it's available. This was supposed to be rated R, Bill, and they had to argue it down to a PG-13. Why on earth would this movie be rated R? I would love to see the R-rated version of this, but that's bizarre. The R-rated m- version had Eva Mendes in it. Uh, <laughs> Apex Mountain. I don't really have anything that here one. other than I think you could make a case this is the Apex Mountain for the 21st century Browns. After your uh, Baltimore team, Stole the franchise. I don't know the team that you love the most, which stole somebody else's franchise. You took it. You're basically healing an old wound. You know, you're the second wife of the of the the Browns Ravens. You just come in. You win some Super Bowls in Baltimore with this Browns franchise. They finally come back in 1999 with an expansion team. Bring the uniforms back. Bring the logo back. And it's been 21 years and counting of absolute misery. at least 10 different people running the team, multiple owners, God knows how many coaches and quarterbacks. You could argue that the last 15 minutes of this movie is the happiest moment the Browns have had in, in the 21st century. Interesting. I think that that's a compelling case. Thank you. The only thing that might top it, and the ringer is complicit in this, was the brief moment of... 
collective madness that the sporting public engaged in when you know we did trust the Browns process week as part of our NFL preview last season. Uh-oh. Everybody thought that this was really it, that the Browns Mayfield were really going to break through and be like the it team. They had that moment of being the it team that didn't actually bear out on the field. But I think that I think that that was probably the most excited that Browns fans actually ever were this century. I have no other Apex Mountains. This is nobody's no. Apex Mountain. No. Maybe Roger not. Goodell. It's the only time he's seemed likable this decade. No, Roger Goodell's Apex Mountain is the quarantine draft that we just had, where he was crushing it from home with the dad vibes and the outfit changes and the massive jar of M&Ms that he kept eating. People loved that. Picking nits, we've mentioned a this bunch is, of them. This is a so, long category. Well, we've hit a we've hit a few of them. There are more. The, the Brown the Browns owner Getting from the draft back to Cleveland in 45 minutes. Okay. I don't understand unless the helicopter was parked on top of the building. It doesn't matter. It, even, even. But he had I a had plane. A, I, right. I had a long argument with Jeff Chow about whether this was possible. And he. Jeff he, Chow was involved. Uh, oh, yeah. Wow. You know, this is a big rewatchables <laughs> when Jeff Chow gets involved. He, he ultimately agreed that this was not possible. But he was contending initially that the helicopter was the key, that if he can get to the helicopter within four minutes, if he can get to the helipad, that he can then take the helicopter to his plane, take his plane to the the. Oh, so he's saying helicopter to the plane. Yes, that was his argument. But even that I think is not possible because we see that he is exiting Radio City for road traffic and the traffic in midtown yeah, that's 15 minutes draft, you're yeah. you're done already you don't even have to talk about anything else but let's talk about the other parts of it 466 miles according to the math that i asked my husband to do a few minutes ago from from a, a, an airport because the plane has to be in an airport in new york let's say laguardia to Cleveland. Let's say he flies right to the practice facility. Lands in the Wait, hold parking on. So, lot. Hold walks on. in. Scale back. Let's give him 20 minutes just in the traffic. And let's let's give him the benefit of the doubt that he has a helicopter on a helipad eight blocks away. He only has 40 minutes to work with, though. That's it. Because he no, but I'm saying after so that's 20 minutes pit. there. You take the elevator up to the top of the helipad. That's another five. And then you mm-hmm. said 466 miles. So he's got to take the helicopter to the plane. That's another at least 15. So now we're at like at least 40 minutes. He hasn't even gotten in the plane yet. And then New York to Cleveland is what? Like 45 minutes minimum? It has to be. Yeah. I think a commercial Lands. flight checks in at an hour 20, though you obviously have other factors in play there. So yeah. yeah. So Personal private's 40 charter. to 45. Lands. Yeah. Yeah, Even if the airport in. is 10 minutes away, it's still lands. You got to get it. It's, I would say, minimum two hours, 15 minutes. It's impossible. And he does this. He leaves Radio City after the first pick because he has his he has his Bo Callahan jersey in his hands that he has had made, which is hysterical, and throws it in a fit of rage, leaves, heading back to Cleveland to fire Sonny. So we're, we're, we're at the end of the first pick, okay? This clock has started on the second pick as he's leaving. He arrives. He walks into the war room as the conversation is unfolding about trading the sixth pick with to Seattle. So he has... He has traveled over the course of the second, third, fourth, and fifth picks. That's it. We know 
we know how much time that is. That's 40 minutes. There's 10 minutes on the, on the clock for each pick. This is not possible. The only way it's possible is if there was a blackout at Radio City Music Hall, but I feel like they would have covered that in the movie. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> it's a problem. Again, it's if we had our sport, off. our Ringer sports movie <laughs> consultant thing in place, we might have said like, hey, can you have... Can you have Anthony Molina maybe FaceTime in from the plane? You don't need a sports czar for this. You just need to know how time well, is. Obviously, you did. <laughs> Next picking it for me. Sonny Weaver fired his own father? They just kind of gloss over this. This is, I'm so glad we're going to talk about just this. Just fired him? So. I actually had this in unanswerable questions as opposed to picking nits, but it, it's kind of, it doesn't even matter where you put it. His logic, as he reveals to Allie, and it is clear that this is a reveal, this is not something she knew, even though they are together, it is not something other people know, is that he was the job was going to kill him, and Barb, his mother, asked him, asked Sonny, to basically prevent Coach from dying on TV. Why does he have to vilify himself and destroy his relationship with his own father by firing him? You know what this reminded me of? It reminded me of Sierra voting out her own mother on Survivor. <laughs> Blood versus water. It's like the logic is sound, but you never come back from that. It's a good point. Uh, what happened at Bo's 21st birthday party? We still don't really have the answer. Were his teammates there? Were they not there? Was it a surprise? Unanswerable question for me. I, I just don't buy that none of them showed up. Not a single one. No. There are 85 players on a college football scholarship. That's a lot. <laughs> Not one of them showed up. And if they didn't show up, that meant he was an enormous asshole, which would have come out in any of the draft prep. They would have found that out. The $100 playbook trick, which I enjoyed, but then they say the only other guy that Brian Drew mailed it back. So they've been using this trick for eight years. None of the agents are wise to it yet. They're using it on every quarterback. <laughs> The, the word's not out of the street yet. Like, hey, watch out for Washington, their $100 playbook trick. Oh, man. That's a great one. Um, there's some conference calls here made between two war rooms mm -hmm. with dozens of people in each room listening and everybody mm -hmm. like, shh, quiet. Mm -hmm. The sound's perfect. Nobody's talking in the background. Um, it's a stretch. If we're, if we're picking nits, I, I just, I, I've never seen a situation where it just is executed that flawlessly. Good point. Especially in the new Zoom era. We know how hard that is. 2014. Pretty sure they have draft pick value charts. Yeah. Jennifer Garner, our salary cap expert. Uh, not there with the chart being like, hey, three second rounders for a first. It's actually like uh, we're we're only getting 90% of the value of that pick. We in everybody probably get a else's fourth back. Defense, it's difficult for them to advise Sonny when he's consistently acting unilaterally. Does Sonny know what a draft pick value chart is? It's a, I, we I have no clearly idea. Clearly not. Clearly Impossible. Not. Um, any other nitpicks for you? Yeah, a couple of quick ones. You already mentioned the Goodell booze, the lack of Goodell booze, which is the number one here. I think that given how much of the movie hinges on the Putney, the Putney inclusion in the trade, how excited they are to solve their special teams woes with David Putney himself, not having David Putney in the huddle at the end is malpractice. Where is he? He's supposed to be one of the beating hearts of this new team, this championship roster they have forged. 
I need to see him in the throes of battle with Avante Mack and Ray Jennings. That's I think he got waved. Me. He got waved after the third preseason <laughs> game. They found out why why uh, they were so eager to get oh, rid of him. Man, okay, let's see what else. Oh, I got I got another one. Bo's pack of twelve blog, <laughs> the blog dedicated to all of his sexual conquests. Yeah, I'm a college football fan, as you know, and I am appalled, appalled that this is named after the Pac-10, Pac-10 or now Pac-12 instead of the Big Ten where the Wisconsin Badgers play. This should obviously be called Bo's Big Tens. Obviously. I don't know what, what oh, anybody who's involved call. with this website is thinking or anybody involved with this movie is thinking. Come on. Wisconsin's a Big Ten team. That's why you're one of the best right there. Ugh. You just laid it on the table. Also, I parsed the, the website very closely, and I have, this is more unanswerable questions than nitpicks, but these categories kind of merge with this movie. Is that a, a full-on sex tape embedded in the left rail or something slightly softer than that? And also, why is there a sign-in at the top of this website? Why do you have to register for this website and sign in? What kind of bonus action are you getting here? And I'm glad to say that we can ask Thompson, a.k.a. Diggle from Arrow, one of my favorite shows, because he says, yo, I bookmarked that page. (laughs) (laughs) Similarly, Uh, I need your Bo Callahan thoughts just from like a, a handsome standpoint. Oh, I think he's he's very, very good looking. Kind of a classic clean cut chiseled jaw slicked back hair quintessential quarterback you know what movie you might remember him in from four years earlier what movie the social network that's right of course he played the other Winklevoss twin only we never saw him because they CGI'd Army Hammer's face on him well tough one I support CGIing Army Hammer into anything. Yeah, Speaking of I our figured. boy Bo Callahan, another nitpick here. The the draft profile that they print out, because again, they're completely unprepared for the prospect of drafting him. This printout is absolutely exceptional. It's clearly just put together on like Microsoft Word. His height is listed in two different spots on the first page. It is different. It is 6'4 in one place and 6'3 in another place. No wonder the Browns can't fucking win, Bill. They don't even know how tall a player their scouting is. His birth year is 88, which would mean he was 25. 88? <laughs> what is he, like Brandon Whedon? Wild stuff. I mean, Brandon Whedon would be, you know, fitting given that he was on the Browns, but just amazing stuff there. Also... Falling out around the firing aside, Sonny not being at his father's will reading, very strange. Like, very strange. I just don't, I kind of don't accept that part of the plot. Oh, what else? There are so many that we've already talked about. We've already talked about most of these. We'll skip the rest of them. Okay. Best quote, I have two and you can give me two and then we're moving on. How is it that the biggest prize in the most macho sport ever invented is a piece of jewelry? The Browns brought me to Cleveland so that everybody could get... One of these. How is it that the ultimate prize in the most macho sport ever invented is a piece of jewelry? Jennifer Garner's only good moment. No one can stop a ticking clock, but the great ones, they can slow it down. No one can stop a ticking clock, but the great ones, the great ones always find a way to slow it down. So slow it down, Sonny. I like that. Remember telling you and Sean and Chris and Juliet <laughs> that over and over again. 
So sage. I love that. Uh, Obviously, the best line in the movie is, come on, Tom, say it with me, you pancake-eating motherfucker. But because we've talked about that so many times, I'll nominate two others. I really enjoy the moment where Sonny says to his mother, you're on Twitter? And Barb says, you're not. (laughs) Yeah. Ellen Burstyn, by the way. makes me laugh. Oscar winner. Oh, my God. You know, tough role. So much of that character performance hinges on carrying an urn around one hour before the draft. Yeah. Not an easy thing. Hmm. What's my second pick here of all these choices? I'll go with, I'll go with Anthony. I need five minutes. All right. Five minutes. And then you can fire me. Yeah. And then the odor just backs off. Cause that was realistic. Could this oh, be remade as a 10 episode Netflix show as our next category? Please. No. Absolutely um, not. Though I do think it would be compelling to see a hard knocks around the draft instead of heading into the season, either okay. focused on the team or an elite prospect. Probably unanswerable questions. We've hit everything except for oh, who boy. is the real life Brian Drew. And my nominees are Alex Smith and Andy Dalton. Oh. Those I'm not saying really right now. I'm saying like oh, right, over the course. like if they, in 2014, if they're modeling the movie, Andy Dalton's a little young at that point. I think Andy Dalton right now, Smith 2020. Blooming, yeah, Smith blooming later Smith's a good that one. time was, was a good one. What about the what about the the real life comp for Bo Callahan? What kind? That's an unanswerable question. What kind of career do you think Bo Callahan actually went on to have? Well, what kind of quarterback was he? Because it seemed like he was pretty athletic and could scramble, but at the same time was kind of a wuss. I, so, I I think you're I think that he's presented and part of this is just that I, I'm thinking about Wisconsin's offense and Big Ten play, but I think we should be thinking of him as a as a pocket passer. Okay. Clearly. So I'm so gonna go with I, I'm I'm gonna go with Matt Leinart. I think he had Matt Leinart's career. You know, a lot of hype as a prospect, elite college player, Heisman winner, and then just completely completely flames out 15 career touchdowns that's what i'm going with obviously the movie asks us to think specifically of ryan leaf as a comp you know Allie mentions ryan leaf when she's when she's talking about the the way that winning everywhere can be misleading in terms of its value and assessing what somebody can do for you so probably not an accident to raise ryan leaf as a comp carson wentz no oh come on you're just trying to hurt eagles fans now what do you mean i meant just as his his football style, not, but do not you like think the Bill rest Callahan of Callahan is going to have NFL success on par with what Carson Wentz has delivered when healthy. Here's my hot take. I think Bo Callahan had a great career. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you, you think what? Tom Michaels was right all along. I think it was just a pure salary cap issue for the Seahawks. <laughs> they were able to figure it out because it was totally realistic. Listen, he, he delivered in college. Mm-hmm. The, the, Things that were against him was that he was a little bit shifty. Kind of want my quarterback to be shifty. Maybe that. Maybe that's a good thing. Some of the best quarterbacks ever were shifty. I consider no one showing up to your birthday party. Uh, no, no teammates, at least. You know, a, a, frankly, a badge of honor it means you're focused on other things. Well, but we also did. It was never a hundred percent fully established whether that happened or not. No, I think it. I think it happens. I think you're supposed to think it happens because Sam Elliott gets so pissed when Sonny brings that up. And even though Sonny's takeaway from the call with Sam Elliott is that the information Ralph gave him was flawed, 
he he holds on to it enough to then call Bo Callahan to talk to him about it. And Bo is like, I don't remember anything from that night. Clearly, and he's been established to us already at that point as a liar because of the $100 bill thing. So I think we're, we're supposed to process that as he's embarrassed, but he tries to cover it up instead of owning it because that's his character. I so, like your Matt Liner call. I yeah. th- but I think it's, I think he was more talented than Matt Liner. Like Matt Liner, yeah. even going to that draft had issues. So I would say like yeah. Carson Wentz talent with Matt Liner, it's everything else. Certainly the buzz around Bo Callahan as a prospect surpasses what the Liner buzz was. I have another unanswerable Bo Callahan question for you though, while we're yeah. talking about this. How many people did Bo actually sleep with each week? Because this is a point of contention in the film. We have Diggle, from Arrow and Jonah from Veep debating this when they're supposed to be scouting him. They're looking at his website. Diggle Thompson thinks it's 20 per week. And no way. He says <laughs> he has a weakness for banging hot chicks. <laughs> That's the official analysis. <laughs> oh my God. And Thompson says we were thinking like 20 minimum. Then O'Reilly chimes in with the contrarian take. I say 10. That's one and a half per day, which makes sense. Two and a half sounds exorbitant. So where do you fall on this? How many? I would say I'm, how I'm many in the one a day camp. Callahan actually sleeping with one and a half per day. Okay. I'm, a, I'm in a one, a one a day camp. You know, it does make you, it, it was a missed opportunity with the Jets though, because they could have had the joke about he's going to bang more chicks than Joe Namath. Like somebody could have thrown that oh, one man. in as a, like a Joe Namath 2.0. Mark Sanchez, another interesting comp to think about here. Right. Another guy, though, who wasn't a sure thing when he came in the draft. No, yeah, but same kind of like, not. yeah, I like that. Uh, who won the movie? Oh, boy. I have I, I have to give you one more unanswerable question. I just have to. Oh, go. What PEDs is Brian Drew on? Oh. Uh, he says he feels 10 years younger after being out of the league, already being in the league for eight years. He's coming off yeah. surgery. The strength coach tells Sonny that Drew is throwing the ball 15 yards further than usual, squatting 400 pounds and benching 250 pounds 25 times. Translation is Brian Drew's in the best shape of his life. My only theory for how this is possible other than a blood boy is that Tom Welling of Smallville fame is once again actually playing Superman in this movie and that this is a shared universe. That's my only theory for how this makes sense other than PEDs. So you're saying for the montage right at the end when the Browns were on the field, you have Putney in there be a Brian Drew watching from the stands because he's serving a four-game suspension for PDs. <laughs> I love it. Exactly. <laughs> that that he failed in the minicamp. Who won the movie? Costner, obviously. Costner. Come on. Of course. This is where I'm going to share that line from the, the making of. The audience literally finds itself rooting for this one idea to happen. And in draft day, all these things come together in a single almost vulgar line, if you will. But it's not. It's absolute justice. It's absolute poetry. And the audience roars. That is Kevin Costner in real life talking about the pancake-eating motherfucker line. Incredible. He's maybe maybe the most beloved <laughs> actor in the Ringer universe, Kevin Costner. Oh, my God. What a gem. Love that guy. Let's have, before we go, we're bringing in producer Craig because he... Uh, he saw this movie for the first time and was horrified as he was watching it, but ultimately it wore you down. You liked it. Yeah. I mean, I would be lying if I said my heart wasn't pumping a little bit at the end when he's making there the deal go. with Seattle. There you go. But like two, what, The split screens, Bill, is a bad take. 
The worst part of the split screens is that it, I'm okay with split screens. They get it for a phone call, but they bleed over. It's like they do this weird thing where they have Costner look like he's half in the room and he walks through them sometimes. Yeah. It's, it's like a new trick the editor found out on Final Cut Pro. It was like, we're doing this. It's like Gall- Gallagher got excited, f- who works for The Ringer, probably editing this for them. Like, hey, what if he walks across the split screen? And we'll do it 10 times. I'm asking Gallagher. I bet Gallagher liked this. Uh, you're, uh, you watched this with your girlfriend who did not like this movie. No, she did not like this movie. She's actually mad at you specifically. And she's like, I'm in a fight with Bill. Wow. Um, wow. It's there been tough because every time you text me about what the next rewatchable movie is, I I say like, oh, we got to watch this movie tonight. And she's like, what is it? And I'm like, it's called Ronin. So, <laughs> it's a 1990s action movie with Robert De Niro. And she's like, oh, fucking damn it, Bill. It's that. Well, we have a couple good ones coming up. Okay. She wants Dirty Dancing, by the way. Wow. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Wow. That's that's. That's actually not a bad choice. We have some good ones coming up the rest of this month. Uh, Craig, you'll watch this movie 10 more times in your life. (laughs) Mallory, a pleasure as always. Thanks for uh, watching the rewatchables. Our next rewatchables. What's it going to be, Craig? I forget. Oh, uh, Armageddon. Yeah, Armageddon. You're right. Oh, my God. Armageddon. It's happening. Bring the animal crackers. A movie you might have heard from. Might have heard uh, of. Mallory, thank you. Craig, thank you. See you next time. 